Welcome to the Unearthed Man podcast, the journey of becoming a conscious man. Hey all, Stephen here and welcome to episode 61 of the Unearthed Man podcast. I hope you enjoyed last week's episode with Dane. It was beautiful to hear of his journey, the similarities we shared and how he's now found his calling to help support and guide other men. It's also a great lesson concerning just rolling with the conversation, given that he was in the caravan with his two young children. There are times that they come in and out of the conversation, but you know that's life and that's what we need to do as men. We just roll with it. We don't get stressed or frustrated about it. We just let it happen. Um, now, as far as I can remember in relation to my own story, I've always been fascinated with raptors. Now, for those unfamiliar, unfamiliar with that term, it refers to birds of prey such as eagles, hawks, kites, kestrels, etc. There is something about their beauty and grace combined with their ability to fly to incredible heights and use their extraordinary eyesight to look for prey. One of the most beautiful experiences is seeing an eagle fly effortlessly across the sky using air currents. As I've slowly learned more about the First Nations culture in Australia, one thing that stood out the most is a storyline held by the peoples of the Kulin Nation about the creator, which an eagle signifies. In their language of the Kula Nation, the eagle crater is referred to as Bunjil. More I've also learned to speak with the creator and the universe to ask, ask specific questions as to the direction I am heading. I now look out for signs. To my amazement, my affiliation with the raptors, particularly hawks and eagles, now makes sense. Whenever I'm seeking a sign and talking with intention, I witness the appearance of a hawk or eagle flying overhead. I have seen one sitting on a roadside sign while driving along a highway after speaking in the direction I wanted my business to go. So for me, they do appear when, when I'm asking a question and, and if I think that's the right thing to do, if I see a hawk or an eagle appear, then I know that that is definitely the direction I need to go and I know that's the message from the universe. So on this point, and knowing that Bunjil is the creator of the Kula Nation, I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the unceded land and pay my respects to the elders past, present, and emerging. All right, now shout out to our sponsor, Surf Coast Wellness Rooms, based here in Torquay, Victoria. As men, we spend much time looking after and caring for others and very little time on self-care. So you now have an opportunity to change all that. Using the code the Unearthman10 when booking, you'll receive a 10% discount on any of their services, including float tanks, infrared saunas, massages, and salt therapy. It's great to use before or after a day at the beach, and you can find a link to the website and the code below in the notes. A couple of things to run through before we kick off with today's guest, which I'm really excited to get into. First up, Unearthed Man community. We're definitely continually growing every single day and more and more men coming on. We've got 50 plus members now. So if you're a man or know of a man who is seeking his tribe or his community, then please use the link in the show notes below to sign up. Alternatively, you can message me via any of my social media channels. Secondly, please subscribe to the podcast. I know I've asked this on every episode, but it's really key. First up, the more subscriptions we get and the more reviews, particularly five-star reviews, the higher the podcast goes up in relation to the top listening podcast, which means it gets to more and more people around the world. And then by also doing that, it actually gives um, a way to acknowledge that um, my guests for their time and effort at Wisdom they're putting into this. As I keep saying, there's a few hours goes into the podcast. It'll take you two minutes to give us a review and more men will get to hear this podcast. And finally, if you are a man struggling with the daily grind, have constant feelings of guilt, shame or anxiety, feeling irritated or frustrated, and lost track of who you are with a deep inner sense that there is more to life than this, 
expressions of interest for my eight-week men's empowerment program are now open. Now, I'm only taking 10 men into each eight-week program this year. So if you are interested, please click the link below to join the wait list. It is filling fast, and I'll get back to you to work out the most appropriate timing for you to jump in the program. All right, let's get into it on today's episode. So my guest today grew up in country western Queensland, and the farming station is now based in north and New South Wales of Australia and works as a holistic health and wellness coach for private clients, both locally and globally. He is a keynote speaker on health and wellness for organisations, businesses, and health retreats across Australia, and an actor who has appeared in national television commercials, short films, a television series aired on the uh, ABC, Amazon Prime, and Netflix. He was also featured on reality TV as a SAS Australia Hell Week recruit, and that was an amazing series to watch him go through that journey. He dedicates his social media to educating and entertaining on the topics of health, well-being, and everyday life in a comedic way, and absolutely um, some of the funniest reels I reckon I've watched him go and do. Probably his acting skills definitely kick in there. Now, I had originally had the chance to meet my guest face-to-face, and he spent a week down here on the surf coast with a mutual friend, Steve Cap. Now, I will admit, he has to be the most handsome man I've ever met, and there is some jealousy. He's, he's as beautiful on the inside as he is on the outside. Welcome to the Unearthed Man podcast, James Carson. How are you, James? Oh, Stephen, mate, thank you very much. It's an honour to be here, and what an intro, mate. Thank you. <laughs> no, look, it's been great. And um, I think you know, I probably came across you via Steve. Um, so Steve and I did Unleash the Beast together, as you know, and you know, and I know that uh, I watched him and you, you you train a lot together and and you work a lot together. So um, that, just on that, how's your relationship with Steve and like how'd you come across Steve and you know how did that sort of take place? Yeah, mate, it's amazing uh, the depth of our relationship over the last. We've only known each other for three, but going on three years now. So I originally met his wife uh, Del at a Conscious Leaders event on the Gold Coast, and uh, we kind of just like kept eyeing each other off. I was like, she looks very interesting. I wanted to go have a chat to her. And we got along really well. And she's just like, you need to meet my husband. You need to meet my husband. I think you got along really well. (laughs) (laughs) And then we just stayed connected. Steve and I connected on uh, Instagram, went back and forth, finally caught up when I was in Brisbane. We were only going to, so I was just going to have a coffee with him. We ended up chatting for like two hours, just walking all over Brisbane River, just chatting about holistic health, about the the pandemic, everything that's been going on. And ever since, mate, we've traveled to Tassie, you know, Victoria, as you said, WA, trains, you know, had all sorts of, deep and meaningful uh, discussions, plant medicine journeys and everything in between, mate. So it's been amazing. It's it's interesting, and I know we'll get into your journey, but it's interesting as we go through life, when we start to vibrate, operate at a certain energy level and, and, and as we're doing our own healing and our own journeys as to who comes into our lives and who actually starts to leave our life, you know, and, and for me it sounds like, you know, Steve and, and Adele certainly uh, – are people that that you know, as I say, you've probably called in and drawn into your life to to help along that journey that that you're going on. Absolutely, mate. They've uh, they've been huge in my in my evolution. We've all helped each other. They've been they've been massive. Like even speaking openly, as I always will. Like Adele helped me hugely with my confidence and speaking up, especially when it came to sort of women and relationships. Um, Steve was definitely very paramount in in really building and growing business and all these kinds of things. So they all played a beautiful role in my life and still do to this day. Awesome. So let's uh, let's now roll all the way back. So as we spoke about in the intro, you know, uh, grew up in country uh, country Western Queensland. 
So um, I'm a country lad as well. So I was brought up in uh, you know Western Victoria. So I sort of know what it's a bit like to grow up in, in country towns. Uh, what does that look like for you? What was that journey like? Because that can be far removed from living a holistic, you know, um, spiritual well-being style of life. So uh, can we go back to there and, and and talk through what that looked like for you? Definitely, Steve. It's definitely a very different life that I'm living today and definitely a very evolved person. My younger self would be very, confu- very confused <laughs> but also interested as to what's, <laughs> what's happened. Uh, so, yeah, well, I grew up on a, in a farming station of three different properties, 45,000 acres in total with sheep, cattle, cotton, wheat, very diverse place. And um, growing up there was, I knew no other way really, but it was amazing. Like I, you know, was always out and about adventuring the property, building cubby houses, playing with the dogs, working with mum and dad. There was a period of time where mum taught me school of the air at home. Like she taught me schooling and they sent um, education packages from Queensland Education when I was younger. Eventually went into school in town, uh, which is only about 200 kids. Oh, so not even that. I think it's just under 100 kids or something like that. Then eventually I progressed on to boarding school on the Gold Coast. But growing up West, West was great, mate. It taught me a lot of values of of family, of hard work. Um, definitely got up to a little bit of mischief, especially because we had freedom of motorbikes and guns and all these different things. So all in all, mate, it was it's a great way, uh, great way to grow up. Great way to grow up. It was a it was an incredible time. Yeah, I, I know, as I said, I, I grew up in the country. Um, all my mates were out on farms and, and everything else. And there was just that innate sense of freedom and, and innate sense of connection that um, you know, I think you know, when you grow up in the country, you feel a lot more connected and I would say uh, as much as it's valued me, my move that I did to the city and everything else, it probably escalated my disconnection from myself and from what took place because you're now in a concrete jungle and you're going from comfort of a home to comfort of an office back to comfort of home and all those other things that you did as a kid. As you said, you know, getting out and about and just, you know, um, sunrise to sunset yeah it was pretty much a rule that you know make sure you're home before the sun goes down <laughs> was that similar to your experience yeah it was man absolutely absolutely it was it was so interesting like the morning we'd get up um mama teach me school for a bit and then like rather than jumping on computers or phones or whatever kids are doing these days i'd go and let off all the dogs and have a pack of like seven working dogs we'd just go run out in the bush she'd ring a bell but only kind of the dogs could hear and then we'd all come scampering back go back to school uh Work, uh, excuse me, do our school work for a bit, then go back out. And definitely when the sun came down, I could hear mum barking from the horizon <laughs> to come home. <laughs> for those who have not never had a mum who's been brought up in the country, they have a very good loud voice. Like They know how to speak up. Like they can transcend acres and kilometres from one, from one clear voice. So that's for sure. You can hear them a long way. Um, siblings, like what was that growing up for you? Was there siblings and... Uh, Definitely, mate. Yeah, I've got two older siblings, one older brother, one older sister, and we're all about four years apart. So my brother, he uh, was very much embodied the country lifestyle, was running one of our stations for quite some time. My sister went down the um, corporate route. I'm very different to my brother and sister. I love them dearly, but visually we just look totally beyond. It looks like mum jumped the fence when (laughs) – and, like, there was some old jackaroo blew through town and she (laughs) – (laughs) <laughs> thought he looked all right but no so yeah they're they're amazing and uh yeah both off in their own little journeys at the moment okay so in relation to your parents um you know one of the things that yeah you know, whether it be a perception or reality but uh in in farming worlds and country life 
there's a lot of practical things that have to get done, but there's not a lot of emotional elements that take place. You know, uh, dads, farmers tend to be very stoic. And I know that I've had, you know, different versions of stoicism, which is the ability to separate emotion but still deal with it versus the, the ability to have emotion but suppress it. Um, and there's a lot of challenges in, you know, mental health with, I think, farmers and country. What was that like for you in relation to, because it can be really tough farming and, you know, as you said, wheat, cattle, sheep and everything else. So what was that like? Yeah, mate, that's a great question. And at the moment, Stephen, being doing the personal development, being aware of your emotions and working through those things, that was just something that was completely non-existent. Like I wasn't even aware of it at all. Like there were times where I was really upset um, and I wouldn't really call it, I'm feeling this emotion, I'm feeling that emotion. I'd just be angry or upset. And then mum and dad either just tell me to calm down, go to my room, whatever it might have been. So learning that as you go along, you would have been like, wow, it would have been really beneficial to be more supported with that. But at the same time, it was just the journey that I was on at that time, if that makes sense. So has that played out like later on? So that um, you know, often the the dismissing of our emotions as as kids, you know, because parents first, friends second, these sorts of things, and we got stuff to do. Has that played out later on? Because I know you spoke with Adele saying, hey, you had to find a voice and you had to do different things because as kids we find coping mechanisms, you know, escape mechanisms and coping mechanisms because of when either being seen or acknowledged, did that play out for you at any point in time or? Yeah, I did, Stephen. Absolutely, mate. So there were some traits for me that I've always worked through. So there was, I've worked through some abandonment issues and that would come through, show, shine a light in, in avoidancy, like being avoidant. So if someone was to, in the past, someone was to approach me or conflict or something, I'd like say the bare minimum and then just completely recluse away. Um, there'd be times where I wouldn't fully express my feelings about something because I'd be mindful of how the person would respond to that or like not thinking that my feelings are valid or it's not something that should be spoken about. So it would kind of bubble up until it would go, get worse or just like I just completely ignore a huge part of myself. So it was many, it was really unraveling all of that and it definitely does rear its head. Even to this day, we still work through things from here, here and there. So it definitely did show up for sure. And, and and how would that show up for you out of interest? Like when we say that shows up, um, you know, because there's a lot of people listen to this who probably listen to it but aren't in, in the space that we're in that actually now know how to regulate emotions or when we see things work through. So when you say that showed up, like is yeah. that a is that a different set of emotion, anger, frustration, as you said, withdrawing, like, you know, just what would that look like for you? Yeah, it's a great question, mate. So I'm just trying to think of an example. So I think um, if there was, say, an instance in a re- in a relationship or someone that I was dating um, where things were to not go not go well, or just like this, there's, there's an understanding where something I didn't like or something they didn't like, I'd quickly address it and just completely recluse away. Like I wouldn't want to be around people, and because you grow up out west and like dogs are your best mates and that's it, I'm very comfortable being alone and probably almost a bit too comfortable where I'd like be alone for long periods of time. So that's probably one of the most main examples where I'm quick to just like disregard things and disconnect because my father was pretty good at cutting people off. Like if they betrayed him or anything like that, he just cut people off. So I can, there are times where that's shown up in the past with me where I could just be really friendly, but like if you wrong me or something goes wrong, I can just cut it and move forward and just, it's like you don't exist. So it can sound cold, but that's definitely something that I've been aware of. Mm. So, so that brings up the the conversation around you know uh, the difference between say isolation and solitude. Mm. Is, is that something that you now can explore and, and work through? Like that you can uh, differentiate between the type where you're just isolated to escape versus I'm actively choosing to be on my own because I need to be present with myself. 
Yeah, that's a great comparison. Isolation and solitude, definitely. So now it's definitely all about solitude. I can tell when I'm being avoidant if there ever was to come up. And if I am, I work through it and do reach out to the person like, hey, just so you know, I'm just having some space right now to work through something and I send them love or whatever I can do to just keep that connection there to break the pattern. So definitely very aware of that and definitely more on the solitude space and the isolation space back in the day. Uh, thanks for that because I, I think people don't, can't differentiate that one is a conscious choice. So solitude is a conscious choice. So I'm choosing to go and be on my own because there are things I need to work through and doesn't mean you're not going to come back and have conversations with people versus isolation, as you said, becomes an avoidance and abandonment. I'm just going to go off and try to bury everything. And once I failed, I've buried it. I'm probably okay to come back, (laughs) (laughs) which you know is just going to appear somewhere else in another emotion at some other point in time and and more of a negative emotion. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. So transitioning from out on farm life, you know, with with the siblings and the dogs and everything else into boarding school can be challenging for, you know, anybody and particularly young men. I don't know whether it was a boys only boarding school or whether it was, uh, you know, co-ed, but uh, what was that like for you? I'm interested in that because I know, again, coming from the country, that, that used to happen a bit. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, I had these three major stages of education was one with mum, one was at school, where it was just a very small school and it was co-ed, um, and then to an all boys school, boarding school on the Gold Coast. And it was a very, very grateful to go to um, quite a nice school, school called the Southport School. So going and that was into grade seven. Grade seven, I moved into boarding school. And right then it was just a bit of a shock to the system because I wasn't used to so many people and so many people of different ages. And I was still very shy very um intimidated by the whole scenario it was very awkward was kind of like didn't connect well with other kids as much as i would have liked i tried very hard and then when they didn't like me i didn't understand why so to speak and i probably tried too hard maybe so it was uh it was a process that took me a fair while to get get used to you were very homesick because you've gone from being every day at home to a very long period of time away from home so there was a lot of great sport. There was a lot more opportunity, a lot more times for education, which was which was a whole different thing as well. Teachers were different. We had, <laughs> it was weird, we had the sister school, St Hilda's. And so we'd play rugby, they'd come watch us and we're like, oh, they're the girls. And then we'd, the girls would do rowing or touch footy and we go watch them and they're like, oh, they're the boys. <laughs> so there was this interesting separation of genders, which was something very interesting to look back on as well. Yeah, it, it, it's, it is definitely fascinating. I know when I... When I went to secondary school, um, they'd actually there was boys and girls, but they actually still kept them separate. So we actually up to year seven, eight, nine where it was an all boys class, and then there was an all girls class. But one of my best mates, the first time they tried it was a co-ed class because they had too many people to be boys and girls only because of the the intake. So they had to actually, but they didn't have enough to then have two that. So they created this first ever co-ed. And it was really interesting because by the time we got to year 10, those that had gone through year 7, 8, 9, so 12, 13, 14, 15, you know, earlier parts of puberty, they were really comfortable hanging out with the girls. Mm. And even though we're all in the same schoolyard and you catch up of, you know, morning, you know, lunch break and all these sorts of things, you were really awkward. And you were in the first time in a classroom was at, you know, year 10, which is the age of 15, 16, and like you're in full puberty mode and it was just bizarre. Like you had no way to communicate. It's like you were literally two aliens like trying to deal. And there's this other group that was like they couldn't have cared less whether they were male or female. And so, yeah, it was uh, was fascinating how that works. So 
your views on co-ed versus single sex schools and everything? Do you have any thoughts given your experience? Mate, looking at it now, why would you want to do your schooling and education and evolution without the other half of the world? (laughs) Right? Like even, yeah, just like uh, looking back at it now, like it's obviously got, you got great mateship, like it'd be a different way of developing. But still to me, when you really think about it, it doesn't make sense to kind of keep them separate now and like you said like the the skills and ability to be able to communicate and have the confidence to connect with like a female someone of the opposite sex if you lose that because you're an old boys school how is that sort of helping you i was even i was even awkward with the opposite sex when i was at the co-ed school during bandy like when i was at the other girls and then like i'm like all boys now so and that took me so long to build that up still working on it now it took me so long to really build up that confidence to connect with women so in my opinion i think it's it's probably a really old school model um, and I think being co-ed would be the way to go. Yeah, no, I, I could agree. It's interesting. Our son went to an all-boys Catholic school, so um, yeah. so we sort of did that sort of thing, and I, I think it was more because of the the school and the sport and everything else that we do get out of it. Um, but, yeah, I look back now and I wonder how much of – his potential awkwardness. He doesn't listen to the podcast, I don't think. So his potential awkwardness, <laughs> um, you know, sits into that space because of what took place. Um, so you touched on earlier about the abandonment and everything else. You know, so, you know, somewhat feeling abandoned even when you're at home with your parents and how they operate, but then being moved off to a boarding school. Did that sort of add to it, exacerbate to it? Like how did that sort of feel like, hey, now we're actually going to send you away somewhere else or you hadn't? thoughts for that am i bringing up something you hadn't <laughs> no 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 it's interesting it's a great question because my brother went away to the same school so i just, i saw it coming i knew it was coming um and i was excited about it and i saw my brother have a great time uh playing footy and, and rowing and all these kinds of things i think the abandonment stuff came from the childhood and there were some moments in childhood that i've learned and that i've done some sort of energy work through where there were just some instances like i think there was a couple of times where i got lost in a shopping center maybe a few times and kind of that like it was my fault. I'm pretty sure it was my fault. But that kind of makes you feel like, oh, I've been un- I'm unloved. I've been left behind or whatever it might have been. And there are times where I really always just longed for more affection from my mum and dad. And mm-hmm. I think that's kind of like where our love language stemmed from. Like I love physical touch. And that's something that I didn't get enough of as a kid. And then there's also words of affirmation. My mum and dad, a couple of years ago, wrote me a beautiful birthday card. And they wrote, we are so proud of you. And that was the first time I'd read or heard that in so long that I cried on the spot. Yeah. So all these things as a kid just seems to shine through now. So so how much of um, as you're going through school and everything else was almost a means to try to seek that validation from them? Like was there a drive you had either educationally or sporting-wise? It was like if I do this, that that therefore the love will come? Yeah, I think I think there might have been a little bit of that on a subconscious level. There was definitely an intrinsic drive to do well in rugby, to do well in rowing and all these different things. But um when you're playing rugby, you're so stoked that your folks are there watching you. Or when you when you're doing rowing, you're so chuffed that your family are there watching you. And I still remember times where like all the day boys, like the boys who their parents live locally and they go drive in and out of school, their folks are there to every game, every rowing event. And like it is a massive thing when our and our family were there visiting. Um, and sometimes like you always wanted to hear from dad, oh, good game, mate. That's a good try, good kick, good pass. So there was a, there's probably a bit of that for sure. For sure. So, um, yeah, I could see that panning out. So, so was there, um, and, and I'm asking this question because I 
because it's probably from I know where my dad was in, in relation to things. So sometimes it was more about, hey, you could have done this or you could have tried this or, or maybe that. So there's sometimes there's always that often advice about what you could have done a little bit differently or tried a bit differently. And, you know, I played a lot of baseball and it's like, well, you know, you let a few go through, you know, pass balls and everything else. Like, hey, you, know, you get your ass on this side of the fence if you wanted to, um, to have, you know, like feeling. So how was that like so if you when your parents came along did you sort of find that they were then just you know hey great game didn't matter what happened or was there some friendly advice about great game however yeah that, that's a great question mate reflecting back there was there was never really any sort of feedback i think whenever like it's say in rugby for example there might have been a bit of a tussle back and forth and mum's like i'm glad you didn't raise your fist or whatever <laughs> Well, I might have been rowing one time and we just finished a race and everyone's like, hey, well done. And I was rowing back and I was busted. I did this massive spit. Mum was like, you probably shouldn't spit in front of everyone. <laughs> but nothing like, um, oh, like my dad was never one of those helicopter dads, right? There were a few dads at school who were like barking from the sidelines, yelling at their sons. Like if they get subbed off, they went nuts. Luckily, my old man was not like that at all. He just observed in silence and good, good game, mate. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. fun. So, were you? I know you're. You're definitely into your fitness now. You know, and and you look up. Was that something that through school you're always fit, healthy guy, and that was a a focus for you? Yeah, it's interesting, Stephen. So, I we played rugby league when I was at at state school during Bandy, and then that moved into rugby union. And because I was able to, I think because I was able to observe all these older boys who was like big and strong and and did their training it really inspired me to do that so it was very obviously we're all very impressionable so we started always training and doing rowing and rugby and then the weight started to come in probably around about grade eight or nine um then we really embodied it probably from a bit of a place of insecurity as well <laughs> and it's just always sort of been there um and following after schools i got got overweight but lost that weight and that's a whole other story but it kind of just intrinsically flowed like there was a gym there there was a pool we played rugby every afternoon we were just always very active but the more vanity side of things sort of followed after school <laughs> so to speak <laughs> so uh, i think we might get into that so when you say it's not the story it's another story for us to chat about um just so people know you're six four yes or six or whatever yes six six i always mix it up either six three or six four yeah, Definitely yeah. Six, <laughs> so, so james is 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 a is a good size lad Put it that way. Um, you don't only run it at you on the rugby field. I would say at this point in time, I would actually hand him the ball and say, "You can just keep running through." <laughs> like at five foot six, you know, and it's uh, <laughs> seventy odd kgs. I'm letting James just continue to run through. I'm not blocking <laughs> him. Um, so, so let's talk about that because you you now have touched on, hey, you know, you fit in school, and then you know, post school fitness did disappear a bit. You know, all those vanity elements in there, so. Um, I do want to get into where you are now about the holistic and, you know, obviously that experience you did on Hell Week was just amazing. And I'd, I'd love to talk to you about that because I know when we did catch up, you said that there were some issues that took place beyond that, um, you know, some some traumas and everything else. And if you're happy to chat about that, that'd be great. But let's talk about post-school and, you know, um, I know that's, yeah, through school I was fit, healthy. I think I left school at 57 kilo. And I'm pretty sure after third year of work, I'm at 80 odd kilo. <laughs> like it's, it's easy to get out of routines and everything else type of thing. So yeah, what was that like for you then? And like, what was post-school working wise and everything? Yeah. So post-school is where the darkness kind of began for some reason. So after school, I was still going to the gym. I played a little bit of club rugby there and stopped because I'd rather just go to the gym at that time. And because through boarding school, you're fed, uh, your breakfast, lunch, and dinner is obviously all provided, but it's pretty much as you can eat as much as you want. 
And we used to have like eating competitions because we trained so hard or like we'd have Weepix eating competitions or whatever it is. And then that kind of behavior kept going. But I was also renting out of home. So first time really looking after myself, I didn't really know how to feed myself. So I'd make steak and pasta one night and then macas for the rest of the night. Or then we'd drink beers and the lifestyle was just all over the place. So I blew out to be 140 kilos at my peak when I after school. And now I sit at uh, 102. But um, so that basically I was still training, still lifting weights, but I was on this dirty bulk. Like the highest number on the scale, that was the goal. No matter if it was how much fat I had, I was just like, I just want to be big, I want to be strong. And that was the journey for a while. So that led to embodying that heavy weight until I went through a breakup. And I received some heartbreak from a girl that basically I was in out of a relationship for so long. And I was very lonely and alone. And then this one girl took an interest in me in a long time. And I thought there was this glimmer of hope for me kind of fell into that we we I ended it because I knew that she was um cheating on me with some other person and then I said right I'm going to lose the weight and better myself and become attractive because I just didn't feel good enough I remember the phone call when I confronted her about it and she just gave me no love and just disregarded everything I said and I knew it was true threw the phone across the room fell into a heap on the ground just started crying I was living with my sister in Brisbane she came out and consoled me and I was like she doesn't want to be with me. I was just all full of tears. And in that moment, there was just this, right, I'm going to change. <laughs> Started losing weight, which was great, and then progressed along. And then then went down this route, Stephen, I don't want to waffle too long, but taking steroids followed after that because I wasn't big enough, I wasn't buff enough. Right. Because I didn't use them correctly, have the correct hormone therapy, I developed gynecomastia, which is lumps um, in your chest. It's a man boobs condition for men. Mm-hmm had that condition, had to get that condition removed, which followed four months recovery from that, which was the longest, darkest four months of my life, which helped me to discover these holistic principles that I embody today. During that four months, I was so ashamed of what happened and what occurred. No one knew my family, um, my best mates. I kept everything secret and just suffered and grinded away in silence until I could finally get through it. Wow. Uh, yeah, I wasn't aware of any of that at all. So thanks for sharing. Um, so, so do you mind if we just unpack a couple of those little things? Um, you know, it indicates, you know, first of all, that there was probably a lot of, again, external seeking of love and validation because, you know, you're out there finding this person who could be my savior. And then she's like, Hey, I'm off shagging someone else and sorry, I'm not interested, which then, you know, when the external's gone and we're not happy with the internal, we're lost. Because we don't have we have don't have ourselves to come back to, and we don't have that thing that we're seeking outside of us to go to, and mm. you know, and then we're in this position. So um, yeah, so talk through like, can we go into a bit more detail about you know the steroid and 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 you know what actually took place, and you know the whatever you had to do to to recover. I, I can't remember the term you used for the you for know sure. for for that, but yeah, can we talk through that and then like how that tri- how you were mentally with that space and what what was actually that dark what that darkness look like yeah man this was quite a while ago so this all basically occurred in 2011 2012 and um i was in brisbane studying studying and i was living with my sister and this was when i was at my peak overweight time and i had that phone call and just dropped to my knees and just started crying and but i also had the thought of like it wasn't really it was a little bit about her but it was more like i've always heard of these stories of guys going through breakups and then just getting buff or like bettering themselves and i just had that and i had the attitude of like I don't want any trainers. I don't want any supplements. I want to just want to do a trial and error, which was great. Started losing weight, connected with a few different guys at the gym. And I noticed these real big, strong dudes. And I just got really curious. And I was like, oh, what are these guys doing? And they mentioned they're on this steroid or that steroid. 
and then approached this guy and said, look, I'd like to buy some, I think it was like Decker or SUS 250 or whatever it might have been. I didn't have any next to no money at that time, obviously, and I was studying and then I bought it, took the steroids, started getting strong, started like my weight lifting went right up. It was incredible. But then he came to me and said, obviously, you got to take this hormone therapy after. And I was like, mate, I don't have the money for this right now. Like I thought it was just the steroids. And anyway, I had to scrounge up money to pay for it, got it, but I had it too late. And then it started to develop. It's called gynecomastia on one side of my chest. I was like, oh, shit, what is this? I don't know what this is. Just stupidly ignored it, then developed on the other side of my chest. And I was like, oh, my God, I don't know what is going on. I don't know if it's cancer or what, what's happening. I went and got a scan again in secret. My sister, like I just went into Brisbane City, went to Sullivan Nicoladis, got a scan. The lady was very blunt. She's like, oh, it looks like it could be gynecomastia based on what you said, but we don't know We can, unless we can get a sample taken out. I was like, oh, I'm sure it's fine. I don't want to do that. I'm scared. I got the worst white coat fever ever and just live with it. Mm. As time progressed, I went and saw my GP on the Gold Coast. Um, he said the same thing. I said, again, it could possibly be gynecomastia, but if it is, you'd only have to get surgery to take it out. There's no other way of getting rid of it. And I was like, shit. Then he gave me a referral letter to a breast surgeon in Brisbane, a specialist in Brisbane. And I thought, I'm definitely not going to get surgery, but I'm going to take this letter anyway. And Stephen, two and a half years passed after that, man. I kept losing weight. The more you lose weight, it sticks out on the body. It's very, um, you're very insecure about it. Like people ask about it. It's very sore if you press on it because it's foreign, it stings. Eventually, I just couldn't take it anymore. Ripped open the letter, booked an appointment with the surgeon. Uh, his name is Dr. Chris Pike. He works at the MARTA. He referred me to another doctor who actually specialized in a less invasive surgery called a vacuum-assisted breast biopsy. He agreed to do this surgery on me the first time he'd ever done it before. So essentially it was experimental. And I was like, I'll try anything. <laughs> so he he agreed to do one side at a time. He did the right side first, went into the Wesley. Still no one knows what's going on. I'm going in for serious surgery. Mum, dad, no one knows. My roommate drove me to surgery. I come out and it's just this, the day after, it's just this massive black, Lots of blood, like the area where the gynecomastia used to be fills up with blood and fluid and it slowly has to recede away and repair. That time, not being able to run or move or expend or release or speak about what was going on, that was really the hard part. Mm. Massive anxiety, massive depression. My roommate, I was very combative. I was very sort of um, angry all the time. Finally, it recovered. Then I could exercise a bit. It's like, okay, time for the left side. I'm like, shit, <laughs> I have to do the other side go through it all over again, but this time I knew what was coming. Found out about journaling, gratitude, meditation, all these things that got me through that dark period. I'm like, wow, I'm never going to let this go and I want to keep learning more. Mm. So so it, 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 there's always a bit of a theme that runs. I mean, the, the, the cause or the underlying root cause could always be different, but it's like for me, that's your rock bottom. You know, that's where you've just, you know, you, you've tried all these external items to, you know, to be seen, to be validated, to be heard, you know, um, to be loved. And then without our guidance that we have as young, because we don't have that healthy masculinity, we don't have that healthy emotional regulation as we're growing up. And so we become lone wolves and we go off and say, well, that's my path. And then somewhere along the line as men, um, I think who end up working in this space, we just we bottom out, like we have a crash and burn. And um, for me, that sounds like your crash and burn. Um, because then, as you said, you found some other ways of living life, which is you know, the meditation, the journaling, and so forth. So, around about what age are you then? And what so I think you said that was probably 10, uh, 10 years ago, 
So that's when everything started. So like yep. I was saying, I held on to everything for a period of time. So I believe round about 22 to 23, possibly even to 24, excuse me, probably around about 24, that's when these things started to happen. And I literally, um, I still remember the moment. I still remember sitting in my place. I was renting a place in Brisbane. I was sitting at the end of my bed, just riddled with anxiety, just feeling like shit, and just had this insight of like, right, if I can't work on myself physically, I'll work on myself mentally. And that's a concept that I never would have thought of. Like the whole mindset thing, I'm just like, it's all about weights and stakes. What do you mean? <laughs> so this insight came and then my roommate said, look, if you're in a shitty mood, why don't you listen to a podcast and go for a walk? And I'm like, I don't know what a podcast is, but I'll give it a go. So I looked up the manliest podcast I could find. <laughs> and then I listened to this podcast, started hearing from different people speaking about information. I heard Tim Ferriss speak about his anxiety, his depression, how he meditated and journaled and spoke about gratitude and i tried all these things and they helped and luckily that got me out of what you said was right is the dark is the darkness that i had to go through so so what did that so you re- you go through your recovery process uh, off the back of that what, what does that then start looking like where, where were you working what were you doing and how's that lead into sort of where you've got to now like so what's the what's the connection and and you know the the journey you've sort of been on since then Definitely. So at that time of the surgery, I was working at the PA hospital in Brisbane in a non-clinical role in their fundraising community, raising money for the hospital. And um, I had face-to-face encounters with patients all the time. So I was very aware of like how things could just change or young guys getting diagnoses of of cancer or of horrible things happening to them. So I was very aware of uh, that things could go pear-shaped if you didn't really act on these things period of time went where I moved from that role down to the Gold Coast at a different hospital. Then I was chasing the title and the money. I worked at a university with no university degree, which was awesome. And um, that role was so horrible. I shouldn't say horrible, excuse me. That role was just so rough and so out of alignment that it just pushed me to drive to be like, right, I have a message to share. I don't know how it's going to look. I don't know what it's going to do, but I want to help people better themselves holistically like I have. And I'm just going to take a leap of faith. My contract ended at the end of 2019. I'm like, I wrote that, that that exact date on my calendar. I said, right, I'm going to work away, walk away from the job and make this happen with no other real plan. And that's kind of what I've done. And that's been since over almost three or so years to this point now. Awesome. I love that. <clears throat> I love that very definitive. I mean, you know, like that whole, you know, I, I think it's a challenge that uh, maybe the older that we get, and I know from my experience, you know, that, that hey, I'm all in, you know, balls deep is is a challenging thing to actually to to go and do. At um, because there is so much, you know, that I suppose conditioning and beliefs and you know people pleasing and so many other elements, which is about and fear and and so forth that can sort of hold that. You know, how do we go in and how do we really jump? Um, where's the acting fit into all this picture? I mean, I'm intrigued on that because I know that <clears throat> you know. The handsome young man that you are, I mean, you you should be a, a, the TV screen glamour. So, um, sorry, I'm taking the piss a bit here. <laughs> you are you are a very handsome man. Um, the how does that fit into this picture, and where does that start to come into your life, and and working through with that, mate? That's another great question. Again, this is great reflection, actually. But um, it actually there was a lot of it that sort of glimmered, came up around childhood. Like I actually always really liked performing, but it was never something that I thought the country folk community would ever endorse. Like I used to, we had a school play in grade four where I really wanted to be the main character, but I didn't want to put my hand up to do that. Mm. 
I used to practice singing on the motorbike because I know no one could hear me. And I used to perform in front of the mirror to songs and play guitar like I was performing all the time. To I shouldn't say this, but ABBA and ACDC and all these different ones. And then mum busted me one time and started laughing at me. So I never, never did it again after that. I was very careful if I did. Then as time progressed, um, I always really, there's this kind of like interest in it. And then I did it a little bit in 2018. And then I stopped because my agent was not a very good agent. And then literally in 2020, I was in an antique shop with my mum in Mount Tambourine. And this old lady was in the other side of the antique shop just looking at me, just staring at me. I was like, what is this lady? <laughs> I'm walking around. She comes up to me and goes, young man, you should be on TV. I was like, <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you very much. Went around the corner, looked at something with mum. She's like, I'm serious. You should be on TV. <laughs> she said that to me like three or four times. And I was like, oh, my God. Okay. Took that on board, went and signed with a new agent. And literally within three weeks, I signed a national speaking TV commercial. Right. And then I, only in the last little while, I'm like, I'm going to give this the biggest red hot crack that I possibly can. And it's just manifested in an incredible way of something that for some reason never really planned on it much, but it's just gone that way. So, yeah. Hmm. Um, I, I, I'm a huge believer. I am now a huge believer because I can't say I always have been. I am one of the greatest, you know, alcoholic carnivore cynics that used to go around, but yeah, that my life has completely changed in a different world. Um, the it, the universe just drops people in our paths, you know. So and sometimes there's subtle signs, and we'll listen to them. Mm. But if we don't, the universe has a great way of and just to slap us on the face. <laughs> You know, really like you know so it's like you know you had that inner feeling and as you said from a young sort of person and it's amazing just those one little embarrassing moments you know like i i remember the same i used to love performing at school and school plays and and doing different things and i think we had an oliver twist thing coming up and you know we had to put our hand up to say you know who wanted to sing and this is like in the in the boys class and I remember putting my hand up and then someone just saying, oh, you're never, you know, you're not going to get it because you're not as good as a singer as what he is. And it just took the wind out of my sails. And then yeah. I'm just like, from then I'm like, oh, well, maybe I'm just not that good to sing and maybe I'm that. I mean, by the way, I'm a shit singer. So they're probably right. But it still took the wind out of the sails, right? And so you had this whole thing of, you know, like I would – a mate of mine was a really good guitarist and singer. And we, he would often say, come on, let's do karaoke. Or, mate, you know, do you want to be as part of the band just as a backup singer? And I'm like, no, nah, mate, I'll just be the manager. Like, oh, <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, I'll be the front. Or I've done karaoke where I've mimed and he's just sung. Like, I've done all the words, but mine, like, never, no, no sound came out, but it looked like I was saying every single word. And I go, oh, the microphone must have been working. Like, purely because I didn't want to actually have the voice come out. And and it's just it's really interesting how these little one-off comments happen in your life that then you just go, I'm holding on to this. Yes. Mind you, I'm a brilliant singer in my shower at home. I don't care what the name <laughs> is. Like, I belt out some great ACDC tunes and some Abbott right. will come out every now and then. Don't worry about that. Totally, mate. Yeah, in the shower and in the car, you're just, you're just ripping it away and then you turn the volume down to the actual song and you're like, ooh, I'll have to keep that turned up. <laughs> <laughs> keep the windows up. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so, so yeah, so that's um, – so interestingly for me, um, the world of acting um, – and also be a different persona, you know. So, so when you're coming into the world of acting, how much it is, you know, are you finding that it's you're bringing the true 
your authentic James Carson to the table. I know when you're actually acting in a role, you have to act in that persona role over there, but how much are you finding that you can bring all of you to the table versus you're going, oh, cool, I've now got to put on the James Carson acting person today Mm. and take that to the table as opposed to maybe your true authentic self? Yeah, so it depends on the role. So I I did a, a short film in Sydney called Do It Without Doug, and my character was Doug. And the premise and the whole message of the story is there's this young, impressionable guy training, looking to get bigger and stronger, and then he orders steroids. It's actually close to home, this, this actual film. He orders steroids, performance-enhancing drugs. So he clicks them and he orders them. As soon as he presses click and buy, he hears doosh, doosh, doosh on the door of his house. He walks out, opens the door, bang, I appear. I'm this <laughs> character that represents performance-enhancing drugs or Doug. So I'm like this, I don't want to say I'm obnoxious, but I'm like this powerhouse, like more weights, more food, all this kind of stuff. And I kind of overcome his life and he's training for this race. And in the end, he runs this race and wins. And they're like, good, bro, you did it. You won. And he's like, really? It doesn't feel like it. So it's kind of like this message of like, don't use performance enhancing drugs because it's like, it sends you down this bad path and it's unfair. So when we were doing the training and really geeing up and going, I felt like it was me. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, there was other characters where, like, I was, I did this TV ad for Australian, a regional Australian Institute where I had to be this really obnoxious corporate guy on the bus, on the phone. There's this pregnant lady in front of me, and I was talking about this girl that I hooked up with and that she's supposed to call me back. You do have to act out of the ordinary. And weirdly, a lot of my characters have been these assholes. <laughs> <laughs> and all my friends are like, geez, mate, you did well. I'm like, what are you trying to say? <laughs> So there's always little parts of yourself, but sometimes there's this big chunk that is like something foreign. Like a lot of the reels, I do these different characters, these different spiritual characters or people who are obsessed with coffee or whatever it might be. But um, yeah, I always always find it very interesting. But there's always a little shred of belief, a little shred of myself in there for sure. Awesome. Um, go and watch James Reels, jump on Instagram and watch his reels because uh he's producer, director, creator. <laughs> and he does do some very, very comical stuff. So it's uh, it's definitely entertaining. If you just want to sit down for an afternoon, you feel a bit low, just jump on James's uh Instagram <laughs> site and uh start watching yeah, some right. very comical reels that they're very good. Yeah. Um so let's sort of oh sorry, the one thing I want to touch on the acting is a lot of what people talk about is the success for an actor or what people feel is watching movies, everything else is that they feel that they can connect with the person that's doing the acting. Mm. And that's because the person who's been acting that role is being able to effectively, you know, I suppose, draw out emotions from the watcher because they can tap into some of their previous backgrounds and experiences or lived experiences as a way to, you know, almost make it look like it. Well, it is almost real because you are living that. Is that something that you can do that you've been able to use your past to call in elements based on certain roles to go, hey, I can tap back into that abandonment or that experience or what took place and therefore I can now channel that into what I'm doing here? Mm, there's definitely a lot of the videos and reels, a lot of either events that have happened to me or just experiences that I've brought forward into video. But there are times where, like, uh, there are some videos on there that I also have a bit of a serious tone and they actually evoke a lot of emotion. And uh, when I'm reliving these things, like there was a video series, a four-part series that I, I coined Work-Life Balance, where it was the story of this father. Well, I speak about it like it's 
it was me, but I'm going to speak it as a third person, of this father who was really busy and didn't have enough time for his son and then ended up hurting his relationship with his son. And I think when I was reliving that, I, I sort of relived some moments with dad when he was working on the property. He was always working so hard and big, long hours, and I only just wanted to hang out with him. And whenever I'd hang out with him, he'd either be really tired or couldn't do it or whatever. Um, and then so reliving that, like sometimes there's a bit of emotion on my face because I'm reliving those moments. Mm. You know, I made another reel about when you ask someone how they are and they give the robotic, yeah, good, thanks, but that's very robotic. And then you stop and ask them again, how are they really? Then that kind of opens things up. And at that time when I did that reel, I was going through stuff and that could actually like intrinsically cry. So yeah, just so there are moments in time and what I'm feeling that I relive it during the time and people can really see and feel that as well, which is part of the powerful element of it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's interesting those two things that you spoke about, about the, you know, the, you know, the corporate dad and the and, and the kids and, and also, um, you know, about are you okay? Because recently I posted up there and it was like a truth bomb, which is if a man, if you ask a man how he's feeling and he says you're okay, he's lying. Like straight out, if any man says to you I'm okay, he's full of shit and he's lying. Now, don't get me wrong, man. I love you and I'm here to support you, right? But you know, you're not sitting in your truth because you you, you express it. I'm really happy. I'm actually doing really good today. I'm actually really on top of the world today. Or today's not a great day. Like, don't just say I'm okay because that's just a mediocre sitting in the middle response. It's like yeah. truly express where you're at. Like, if you're having a great day, tell someone. I'm having an awesome day today. Like it's been so good. Like really talk and open up. So anyone that just says I'm okay, one way or the other, they're lying on the positive or negative. Um, and the other one, that my, my targets um, that I'm starting to work with is men that work in project delivery space and the IT project delivery space because there's you know so much going on. And one of the things that I've put out is like uh, here's five kids that five things that your kids will never say to you. And it's like, it's okay. I hope that steering committee meeting went really well. Don't worry about the fact you didn't turn up to my sports event. I'm okay. You know, and, and little subtle things along that line of, um, yeah, and even like, no, 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 it's okay to be on the work email while we're at the park because, you know, you can just imagine what it's like while I'm having fun, you know, totally. really almost in the face sort of stuff. But, yeah, it's that whole we get so caught in the egotistic about how we need to be at work and how we operate as corporate people. Yeah, and we just lose those little fundamental things about how that influences our kids, and you know that we're actually training a safety mechanism persona within our children about how we're behaving as the mums and dads, particularly when they're in that you know two to seven, two to nine year age, because it's so becomes so influential on those kids. Absolutely, and I, I used to observe it a lot too in the work environments that I was in. I used to see people so stressed out, so disconnected, and they just didn't seem happy. Mm. You know, they didn't seem happy, and I, and I and I felt it myself. And then I observed other people with their kids. I heard stories of what they would say about feeling disconnected, not having the energy, or like the kids say they're very unpresent. So I see it all the time. So yeah, it's very true. It's very, very unfortunately very common. But I think those remarks that you said about those IT things to men would really hit us, hit a hit a sore spot, but in a good way. You know what I mean? And, and, and that's sort of what's meant to be. It's like that. Yeah, yeah that. Hey, have I bottomed out? Is that the wake up call I sort of need? Um, cause I, the more and more I look through this and, um, the, on last week's episode with Dame Muller, um, Dame Muller, we, we spoke about the fact of, I think the most unfairest thing we can do is if we're disconnected is project those emotions and feelings on our family and kids. 
So, so we're not going to deal with ourselves, but what we'll do is we'll just protect that out and that'll be through frustration or anger or telling the kids not to do something. And it's like, you're just projecting out the fact that there's something you're unhappy about your life. Don't do that to them, you know, deal with it yourself. Couldn't agree more, mate. Like if they they have a, a snarly email from their boss and they want to go tell their boss where to go, they obviously can't do that. So I'm going to tell my young son where to go. I'm going to tell my neighbor where to go, my wife, whatever it is. It's so true. Yeah. Doesn't get released there, it'll get released somewhere else. Yeah, spot on. I want to now work into Hell Week. Um, because I know you had we had a, a great opportunity to chat to you about that when you were down on the surf coast. Um and if you don't mind, is it okay if you chat about on this podcast what you spoke about, you know, what took place afterwards? So talk about what Hell Week was. Yep. Um, because I think what people get to see is what happens on the screen, but they may not necessarily get to see what took place post. Uh. And, yeah. and, and the challenges on that because I know you had some. So uh, yeah. first of all, describe how week and, and what it was about and, and why you did it and then maybe what took place after because I think it was awesome that you done it. Um, Thank you, mate. Yeah, so Hell Week was a, an incredible adventure. So that was 14 everyday Australians. That was six men, excuse me, six men, eight women. That's right. And it was a week-long project. <laughs> I don't know if you call it a project, where we had the four directing staff, four special forces operators from the UK take us through a military simulation of what is called Hell Week, where we had different operations every single day. We had interrogations, we had ambushes, we had uh, PT drills that were never ending and we never knew the end was, was going to happen. We had crippling cold and harsh terrain and everything in between. And slowly but surely, as time progresses, people VW, where they voluntarily withdraw, they get kicked out or they get injured or they just can't progress. And um, I had the sheer honor of going through that journey and, and making it to the end, not passing from the DS, but that was okay. All I wanted to do was survive and make it to the end. <laughs> And you did an awesome job along the way through. And and one of the most challenging psychological things I think that can take place to anybody is for not to know when the end is. Because as you said, like you're doing a drill. If we know when there an end is, like you run a marathon or you have a 50-mile race or you pick something, you at least know where the end is and you know that, that that's where the pain is going to end. And you can either stop and and stop it early or at least you know you you got something to move towards. But if you're out there, and now you don't know if this is going to go for 10 minutes, half an hour, an hour, or two hours, and you're already burnt and dying at a point in time, and you just don't know where it's going to end. Psychologically, that is super challenging. It's a challenge, and I've got two examples of what that was. There was one night where they dragged us out of bed at midnight. It was like one to two degrees. Dragged us out of bed. We did PT for about what we thought was like – probably three hours, but it ended up actually only being an hour and a half because it just felt so long. But it was just like, do burpees, do burpees. And they just kept saying, do burpees. And kind of we kept looking up being like, are we still doing burpees? And it just said, keep going, keep going. There was no stopping. And it was called a, a sickener where they have to keep PTing you until people withdraw. So you're looking around, you're, like, you're looking at yourself like, oh my God, am I going to survive? And you're like, is anyone going to withdraw or else this is never going to end? So that was one example. Another example was one of the recruits left their gear out and Foxy, one of the DS, was like, you guys are going to, excuse my language, going to fucking get it tonight. You, we're going to rip you out of bed and we're going to PT the hell out of you. As the night progressed, we went into bed. We never really went to sleep. It was kind of a micro sleep. But the thing was, they never came in. It was yeah. all about the, the con and the anticipation. One of the guys went and um, asked for some Panadol late at night. And he's like, they're all in bed. They were never going to come out and PT us. It was just the anticipation of what was to come to just mess with you. 
And if we relate that back into just like an everyday life situation, mm. just saying to someone, you know, like, right, we're going to come and talk about that later, and you never close it out. The other person's going, how long are they going to sit there for? Like, are we going to have this conversation? What does that look like for me? Like, am I in trouble? Am I not in trouble? And if you just leave something hanging, if you don't give closure on, you know, if you have an argument and go, right, we'll deal with this later, and then you storm off, like you've left the other person psychologically unsafe. They're like, well, what's later? Like next half hour, hour? Like how long am I sitting here? Like do I get to get back? Can I move forward with my emotions? Are we over this thing? And it, it, yeah, it's something that we, I think we do often that we don't realize that these are little micro traumas or mini traumas we can project into someone else that makes them feel unsafe because they don't know, particularly if it's been off the back of a really bad tirade yeah. and then you storm out. They're going to go, are they coming back? Yeah. <laughs> is yeah. it going to be as bad? What does this look like? And I see it in myself. And like in the past, if I was in like a relationship and they're like, oh, I have to chat to you about something. And I'm like, I was like, when are we going to like, and I want to know when. And it's like, oh, we'll chat about it tonight. I'm like, can we just talk about it now? Like, you're anticipation of not knowing what it is. Can we just give you this message to me? Can I ring you? Like, I don't like that looming feeling. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. yeah. And, and in our modern world, it's the text message. Yeah. Hey, I'm really unhappy. I'm not going to deal with it now. I'll talk to you later. And then the person's going, Hey, I haven't heard from you for a bit. And you shatter them and ghost them. Like that is, you know, we will understand how dangerous that is to the other person. Even though you're shitty and angry, like you've got to be able to understand that you are still accountable for the psychological safety of those other people who are involved in this energetic connection. Yes. And and don't leave them hanging, particularly if they're, you know, or anybody. I was going to say, particularly if they're your partners or intimate partners. It doesn't matter. Don't leave anybody hanging. Totally. Just just air it out. Just just get it out in the open as, as yeah. quick as you can, kindly and as well as you can. As well. so, so after, it's interesting, like I've been, um, been, been involved in looking at David Goggins lately and sort of the stuff that he does. And he's, he's a really cool dude. And, and um, you know, as he often says, it's, it's about the training and getting to the start line. That's the victory. If you end up finishing something like that's that's like a bonus and awesome event, you know. So for you, like the hell week of getting to the end, as you said, like yes, you would have loved to have been tapped on the shoulder and said, "Hey, we would have taken you in," but the fact you even turned up day one, you know, is 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 a huge victory. And then you just went through every day and got through everything else. But what what took place after that? Because I know that that was such a huge event for you, but then I know that that didn't end there for you. There was a, a few other things yeah. that took place post that. For sure. There was, uh, even for a couple of us, like uh, we obviously became very close friends and there was another guy I won't mention who he is, but he had his own challenges. But at the end of it, I was already quite lean, but I lost like four or five kilos on the whole thing. So I looked quite gaunt. Um, we had elevated heart rates for a period of time. We had a few nightmares, or I had, I'll speak for myself, nightmares, anxiety. But I was also um, in a relationship at the time. And that relationship was on a little bit of um, rocky ground before I went into it anyway. She was, um, I don't just like to speak ill of anyone unless they're actually here, but just to frame things. Um, very kind person, but just very insecure in herself and just things went right. And so me going into this thing, she's like, oh my God. If you have to do anything to help girls or anything, you have to pull out. And in my head, I'm like, really? Wow, okay. Um, I don't see that happening, but I'll take that feedback on board. Regardless, went through the training, got to the end, 
finally rang my family, said, I'm alive, I'm okay, and then rang her. She said, oh, my God, you're alive, you're okay. And then said straight away her second question was, did you have to help any girls? I said, yes, I did. One of the recruits, Sarah, couldn't take her belt off, and I had to help her. And then she just lost it on the phone. And I was already at a state of, like, I'm so sensitive and so anxious and so all over the place right now, I can't handle this. Had to hang up. Phone just buzzed all night. Was was getting on the plane the next day. She was yelling at me on the tarmac getting onto the plane. The air hostie told me to get off my phone. You're about to board. And I was like, okay, I'm sorry. So basically at the very end of it all, that relationship had to end because of this person. Um, and that progressed for a period of time after. So there was this massive aftermath of that relationship of still having some nightmares. I still had nightmares about the DS for a while because there was some traumatic feelings and experiences that you get. Mm. So a lot did flow on from that experience. So so what did you then, like what tools, techniques, like what did you, because as you said, you've sort of 2019, you've moved into a space of understanding, you know, tools and techniques to help from a mental health point of view and how to work through things. So what was, was the stuff that you applied, like prior to that you spoke about, you know, going on your own particularly you know with, with the when the steroid sort of thing and now you're in this holistic space which is hey i need to reach help and everything else so yeah. what did you sort of do to help yourself work through those elements during that time i was i was very strong in my holistic principles so i definitely had my journaling practice my meditative practice but i was very open and speaking about these things with friends with family trying to with her at the time but I was speaking to, luckily we have a, uh, we had a recruit psychologist, Mark Matheson, who we could speak to. We spoke after and uh, I shared everything about what happened and he was very, very helpful. And we had access to him for like a year after the show. And then I actually spoke to my actual psychologist herself, um, who was able to help me work through that and made the decision to move away from the relationship. Um, luckily, eventually things start to calm down, started to process everything that happened um it's always there's always like of like if i see footage or anything i'm like oh geez that, that brings back memories but not in a bad way in a good yeah. way so really just giving it time to heal having healing and loving people around me because at the time that relationship wasn't loving and healing to process it once i had the space to do that i was things got a lot better and i love the the fact that you keep using the term process as opposed to because i think that's the key for things a lot of people suppress as opposed to process or express Yes. And so I think that's the key for me is that find something that allows you to process. You know, you don't have to do it immediately, but work your way through process or express. And that's the two things you've done. You had people to talk to, so you're expressing what's happening with you. And then you're going through a set of tools and techniques to enable you to also process through the healing mm -hmm. um, as opposed to going, okay, I'm finished and I'm just going to shut this off and I'll suppress this and bury it down somewhere else so that later on I can project all that out onto someone else in other in another relationship or or something else. So I think that's also a pretty key thing. Yeah. Yeah. It was definitely because you're just in such an extreme environment so abruptly, so sharply, then you're like, oh, I'm just back home now. Like yeah. it, was, it was only a week, but it was like such an intense time. And you're like, your camera's everywhere, you're microphoned up. People are in very traumatic feelings and environments, and then all of a sudden, oh, you're back on a plane, oh, you're back on the Gold Coast, oh, back into normal life. Mm -hmm. So it just took a while to just wind down, but give yourself time and, like as you say, process and express, and you feel, well, I felt a lot better. So so let's extrapolate that out into, you know, um, men and women who are actually, their life is in Army, Air Force, Navy, combat areas, 
and then they, you know, choose to, that's it, I'm sort of done or for, for whatever reason their mission's up and they get honor, honorarily discharged and then we put them back into his mundane society, hmm. you know, and, and, and often then we look at people who are that and we see where they might go to, you know, the emotional distractors of alcohol or drugs or everything else and and you start to have an Rather than judging them, you can start to say, "Oh, I can actually see why that would happen." Yeah. You know, if you think of what you went through in a week, but these people go through this, you know, like you could be sitting in Afghanistan and not knowing, "Am I about to go out tonight? Am I staying here? Like, if I go out, how long is it going to be till I come back into that safety of the, you know, the the compound and these sorts of things?" So, you know, it plays a lot on a lot on people. It was an eye opener, and and even when I when I was preparing for SAS, I read all of their books. Like I did all the research into them, hearing the stories, and yeah, you could go from a combat setting where you're getting shot at, or there's IEDs, or you lose one of your mates, or something like that, or you're going from literally killing and harming people for your own safety to going down the road, get a coffee, and just live a normal life. Like it's a bit of an extreme change, and adjusting to that. It takes a lot like these these people can't hang around fireworks displays or like loud vehicles or things like this there's all these things that people unless you're in it or experience it you you wouldn't really understand mm. no right? exactly yeah. so um you've been great with your top where you at now what's it look like for you you now so you know you've you've got your your coaching business and and up and going and you're sort of you know doing speeches and you know working with different clients so run through a bit where you are now and what that looks like for you Things are great now, Stephen. So I've been uh, doing coaching with some incredible people one-on-one and then uh, the talks are incredible. I'm doing a lot of workplace wellness programs throughout different businesses, through the health retreats. Um, Just speaking about this exact story, I share this story every time and I actually feel very grateful that I can do that because every time I do it, it feels very healing. And uh, the acting space is amazing. Like I've been been had some incredible auditions i've worked on some incredible projects and this year's going to be massive and even next year's going to be even bigger so i feel very grateful i have no idea how i got to this position <laughs> but it's manifested this way and i'm just really open just to experiencing whatever comes forth from here and so but whilst always just in is very cliche as it may sound enjoying the present moment just enjoying being alive being healthy being around great people like you like Stephen adele like all and just being able to surf and, you know, enjoy life, right? Because that's something that you've taken up recently, is it? You've uh, yeah. had the surfboard out and you've, you've got out there. I've noticed that there's a Sunday surf session or something like that that you're now yeah. doing to, uh, to, yeah. to get up and going. So how's that's that going for you? That's our self-care surf Sunday. And I get a bunch of mates together and it's just, as you know, mate, it's so good getting out on the water. It's very positive. You catch waves, you encourage each other. Um, and it's a great to have a bit of a men's group without it being a men's group and then being yeah. a bit resistant to it. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, no, I love that. I've, um, so every morning now, yeah, this year I committed because I will literally five minute walk to the beach. So no excuse for me. So every morning I've now got a routine where I get up and I wander down and I used to just go to the back beach, but I got down to the main beach and I found that there's this group of factory retired people who turn up somewhere between, you know, quarter seven and seven 30 every morning and they go for a swim, you know, Southern Ocean's a bit more chilly than where you're from James, but uh, you know, <laughs> effectively out, just out in the board shorts. And you just get out in the water. I think the water's got got least up to twenty degrees at the moment, so it's starting Ooh. to feel a bit warmer. Yep. <laughs> um, but there's a guy that goes out there. He's, he's an ex Vietnam vet, and they've got their bodyboard hand panels. So body surf hand panel 
planes and their flippers. And so I've got my kit now. I join in on them. Nice. And this guy's amazing because, like, you'll catch a wave and you'll look back out to where he is and he's like, yeah, yeah. like everything like it. surfers will come in and catch a big wave. He's like, yeah, he's just this most energetic, happy, encouraging guy. But then when you talk, like there's one point I sort of talked about, you know, being a Vietnam vet and he may have seen some things and he just went blank. Like mm-hmm. he just, he just, you just see, he just went into some other world for a period of time and you could see the depths of the trauma. So he's got this beautiful out there every day and he actually said to me, he goes, there's something about morning people. He goes, there's people who choose to sleep in and you know, hit the snooze button and roll back under the dune. He goes, there is something special about morning people that I love because they're up and about and they're enjoying life and they're choosing life every single day. And so he's got this great um, view of the world. But, yeah, you can still see as soon as you mentioned something, like there was that went into this blank space for a period of time like oh that was intriguing but but i love that like that's my as men and women and i walk out there and the ladies are on the body boards catching you know the shore breaks they're like hey how you going and you might catch one in i go oh you're doing really well today and it's just this beautiful little community of just positivity first thing in the morning and they're just and i'm like that's me like i want that like in the next 20 years i want to be the guy that the, you know, the young Kai comes along and says, come and join the old group. Like, <laughs> come and join this little old – and they're, sort of, they're seeing me as the young recruit. Like, I'm 55. Ah. <laughs> I'm the one that's going to keep the generations coming along. It's, it's so funny, but such a beautiful space of being – hitting the water and just having oh. that opportunity. Mate, yeah, so you know the feeling when you catch that wave. As soon as you feel the wave just take you, you just yeah. – you get ignited by something. You're riding nature. And it's just amazing. And then when your mates are charging you on, there's definitely some people who get a bit funny in the surf. They get a bit sort of, we get those, but we'll leave that aside. But it is such an incredible feeling. Yeah. 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 There's a beautiful man, um, Clay Allen Ankins, uh, ex-professional surfer that I've now built a really close friendship with. Um, and so, yeah, he and I will often go out surfing and, you know, his view of it is um, from a young guy with separation of his parents, there's a lot of chaos. And so he just went out the ocean. He goes, as soon as I'm in the water, even sitting out the back on the surfboard, there's no chaos. That's peace. I'm just there and I can just be, the chaos is on land, out in the open ocean, there's nothing, there's no chaos. You don't have to live in the chaos. You can just be immersed in the experience, you know. And and you know when you're in a true surf because you're halfway through a word next year, you've disappeared on a a wave. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You turn to him, next thing is just turn on his board panel and go on and go, oh, we'll continue that conversation when he comes yeah, back. Yeah, we'll catch up in the next set. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> or you can just both sit out the back and you yeah. you haven't said anything for five or five odd minutes. You're just both watching sets roll in and you're just sitting there. And that's, I think, you know, that's connection. And, and that's, that's the beauty of where, you know, for me, I just desire that for everybody. Like, how can we help people get to that place? You know, we spoke about corporate disconnected people. You know, and you see it in the work that you're doing, and I see it in the work I'm doing. And you sit there and go, if only you knew how beautiful this this side of the world could be. Yes. Like if you only knew if you could just drop the ego piece and drop all these and work through the traumas and uh, the safety personas you've had to wear because of what you didn't get in your life and you actually had a way to work through that and do the work and come out this other side. It's painful. 
by gee, the, the joy and the beauty on the other side far exceeds the pain of the disconnection that you're living in today. Couldn't agree more, mate. Couldn't agree more. If everyone finds their own nirvana, whatever that looks like, if it is surfing, fantastic, but just something where they, like you say, yeah, overcome, speak up, go through that initial discomfort. But beyond that is that beautiful bliss where you can just be yourself. Yeah, definitely. Um, so to to close out, as I said earlier, um, a message that you, you know, a summation message or if you had, you had that, you know, a couple of minutes to say to a guy or the man, hey, yeah, he, he's the key message. I know it's always hard to distill it down into, you know, we've been speaking for nearly an hour to distill something down, but, you know, what would that be? Mm, I have two two things, if that's okay, two things to say. The first thing would be a message and another thing after that. Is that okay? Go for it. Definitely. So the, I think the best way that I could describe it, and I thought a lot about it, is um, I've been through certain experiences in my life that made me feel like I didn't amount to a lot, that I lacked confidence, that I didn't have a hell of a lot going for me. And I'm at a more beautiful, different space in my life because I took real ownership and did the little tiny things each day to really better myself to move forward, meaning that I was able to cultivate this internal power. And I believe all of us obviously have this beautiful internal power. And any man out there who's going through a grind, who's going through a struggle, you have everything within you to create massive change to manifest some beautiful things in your life, to work through the pain, to work through the heartbreak, to work through the business falling apart, to work through whatever it is. Um, If you show up with these just little foundational principles of looking after your wellness, of getting clear on your values and speaking up, not ignoring your emotions, not ignoring what's important to you, because when you ignore your emotions and what's important to you, you're ignoring a big part of yourself, including your young child self. So just let all of this out. And I'm not saying just completely divulge your whole life into one go, but just little tiny things each day add up to be a massive difference in the long run. That's what I would say to any men listening out there. Beautiful. Thanks, man. And the second uh, thing? The second thing, Stephen, is I want to acknowledge you, mate. And I want to acknowledge you, first of all, being such an incredible and kind man. And I was very grateful to meet you and Jackie and when we were in Victoria there. And I want to acknowledge you for the beautiful work that you're doing to help men, to help people out there, because you're coming from such a beautiful, kind space. And I love connecting with people who are out there to help people in whatever way that they see fit. And I'm really, truly honored to be with you and share this time and to know you. And I feel like that you deserve beautiful accolades and just love for you, for what you're doing. And I want to thank you for this beautiful experience. You ask such great questions. You, you listen so well. And I just want to say thank you so much for showing up and shining your light, mate. Uh, Matt, thank you thank for that. Um, I'm, I'm actually a bit emotional off the back of that, James, but I, I really appreciate it. It's something I'm learning to receive. So I won't say anything, but thank you. I've taken that on absolutely gratefully and deeply in my heart. So I really appreciate that. Um, thanks again, mate. It's been an awesome chat. I can't wait for the next time that we actually get to catch up face-to-face, but I know that we'll continue to connect, you know, electronically outside of that anyway. Same to you, continuing the great work. You know, it's, it's a ripple effect. That's all we're doing. You know, each one of us are just helping that little ripple, and and the more the, more the ripples go out, the more people we touch, you know, the better this world's going to be. So keep doing what you're doing. Keep up the courage um, and, and, you know, and stepping forward into this space. Um, I love what you're doing. Keep up the comedy and good luck with the acting. <laughs> Thank you, mate. Right back at you. Love to have you on the Gold Coast for a surf, mate. I'll show you the beach I go to. <laughs> done, done. Definitely. I'll be bringing the boards up soon. So, all right, mate. You have a beautiful day. It's been great chatting to you. Take care and we'll, we'll catch up soon. Thank you, mate.
Hey, also, uh, how's that chat with James? Um, how beautiful is that? Just just this journey that he's actually been on, and how open and honest he was about you know what's gone on in his life and, and how he's you know circumnavigated that. And as you can see, like we get a choice, we could go it alone, which is a really really hard tough road, and maybe doesn't get us where we are where we want to get to, or we can actually you know and bottom out, or we can actually start to learn to you know um, I says. You know, to use the words process and express. And, and James is a really great example of someone who, you know, bonded out and then realized that, you know, by leaning in on others and, and supporting others and one of being service, it actually helps us be a service to ourselves by being a service to others, but also it actually helps on that healing and that journey of acceptance about where we came from, which really catapults us moving forward. So, you know, I feel honored and privileged to have had the chance to have connected with James and also the chance to actually meet him. Um, I still will say he's the most handsome man I've ever met in my life, and that's a, that's a given. Um, so if, if you're looking to find James, um, I know James will get embarrassed by me saying that, but um, definitely jump on Instagram. I think it's James with three underscores, Carson, if you want to find it, but the link will be in the notes below. And then there's jamescarson.com.au to check him out. Um, amazing man. So that's it for uh, episode 61 of the Unearthed Man podcast. Um, sending you all much love, care, and peace, Stephen. Stephen.